Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hit him high, hit him high, hit him high. I'll hit him low, hit him low, hit him low. You hit him high, hit him high, hit him high. Monster steal back, the juice, back, the juice from the athletes. You better do my steal the juice from the athletes. Hit him high, hit him high, hit him high. I'll hit him low, hit him low, hit him low. You hit him high, hit him high, hit him high. Monster steal the juice from the athletes. You better do steal the juice, steal the juice. I, it is, it is I, your mutated space alien basketball bruiser, Holden McNeely. And Jake, what fucking dumbass wizard are you going to be this week? Because we're talking about Space Jam. Uh, hi. It's, <laughs> hey, hey, Michael, it's me, Wayne Knight, in the 90s. I'm just a pathetic slug. I'm just a fat, weird, slug, horrible man. The the joke is, I'm fat and nobody likes me. I, ah. I like I'm Wayne Knight. Knight in this. I'm Wayne Knight. Ah. I love Wayne Knight. I'm becoming a horrifying CGI balloon, Michael. Michael, look, I'm becoming a CGI that balloon. That is one of the weirdest parts <laughs> of the movie. Okay, okay, so. Everybody doing- get up. It's time to slam now. Because- we got a real thing going down. So Welcome be- to because- the space I'm blaming it's the, your chance to do dance at the space. Jam. I blame the audience for All this right. one. It is your weird, bad nostalgia <laughs> issues that forced me to win your hands in the air. Spend multiple right. hours researching the movie Space Jam. I want that time of my hey, life you, back. What you gonna do? Uh-huh. It's a good soundtrack, okay? <laughs> Look, I don't even know what to say about this movie. What do I say about this movie other than I also fucking loved it when it came out? <laughs> um, how old was I even? I was 15, I guess. 14. Perfect time for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll get into Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan. Jeez, Michael I Jackson. I mean, it was the era of the it's two not Michaels. That child molester we're talking about. We're talking about R. Kelly this episode. <laughs> um, we'll get into that as well. But, but it, it, we'll get more into it when we dive more into the episode itself and talk about the history of Michael Jordan. But to be a kid in your like early teens or preteens or, you know, or in high school, whatever childhood at the height of Michael Jordan's success was something to behold. Everyone knew about Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan the, I mean, just, just his face was everywhere. It was everywhere. on commercials. It was on uh, TV shows. Uh, there would be hit songs, uh, the ad campaigns, the sneakers, everything just created this Uber being. And this was the era of like dominating sports figures. I'm sure like there's, you know, people we're not a sports show. We will never be a sports show, but the idea that like the illusion of the singular like sports hero that like we could still live in an era where there was like a Joe DiMaggio like heroic Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, uh, uh, 
Who's the other guy in Pro Stars? Bo Jackson. <laughs> uh, you know, these eras were these were sporting, unbeatable sporting titans that were larger than life. Sporting titans said by a true nerd sitting across from me. I swear to God, they marketed... <laughs> Uh, the NBA in the 90s was marketed yes. like a fucking superhero franchise. Bulls, Every team. The Bulls was like Coca-Cola. Was like yeah. It was like so <laughs> omnipresent in your life. Yeah. Perfect example. Like Marvel. I mean, it really, the advent of the superhero film, it was, it, the Bulls logo was just such an intrinsic <laughs> part of my life. I mean, everybody's, right? And I was not into sports. And yet, I knew plenty about the legacy of Michael Jordan. I knew plenty about, I mean, I mean, I knew it definitely knew his fucking face on top of that Looney Tunes. Now I definitely loved Looney Tunes cartoons growing up and I forgot it didn't, wasn't until I did the research and again, we'll get more into it, but that Looney Tunes really was not a big happening thing at the time of Space Jam, that this was a revival for Looney Tunes <laughs> and Bugs and Daffy you know, I was such a fan of cartoons in general as a kid, so I didn't feel that weird uh, sea change, you know what I mean? I mean, and also... No, you, uh, especially as a kid of the 80s and 90s, uh, everything was forever in reruns. Right. So, like, you, the Looney Tunes were just as relevant yeah. to you as, as they ever 100%. were. 100%. Uh, but, but they weren't really as huge as maybe I felt in my mind as a kid because, really, you know, this was... Really, and and this is a different. We will definitely do an episode on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I think there's some ties here because I think a lot of the inspiration to do Space Jam came from the success of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But if you think back on that film, that was one of the first times, and this was another instance right on the heels of that of actually going for nostalgia grabs. And nostalgia grabs, I don't think, really became a thing until. Uh, in a big way, Roger Rabbit, Space Jam, and being like, hey, remember these guys? Remember cartoons like from the 40s? Remember the Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny? And so not only it was, you- uh, it was, I mean, we covered it in the Adams Family. It was literally like it just dawned on movie studio executives all at once in the 90s. Right. Oh, wait. People remember this. Yeah, shit. and 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 have a fondness and want to see a weird, up to date version of it. And man, this movie. Uh, the, all right, so I rewatched it again the other day. I also rewatched it. Uh, we oh, we had to, God. right? It's our yeah. jobs. And um, one of the main takeaways I had was a Space Jam's fucking weird, <laughs> <laughs> fucking weird, unbelievably weird. It's so weird. It like, is a fever dream. Yeah, it is. If somebody said to me, okay. You got to take the Looney Tunes characters and Michael Jordan mm. and put them together in a movie. I would never in a million years have said, okay, aliens, they have a theme park in space. <laughs> exactly. Just at, at all. <laughs> Just to start on at any level. And then no, everything. No, literally, exterior shots. Yeah. This is the screen. Like, I'm sitting down. I'm writing <laughs> the Michael Jordan Looney Tunes movie. <laughs> exterior shot. Outer space. We zoom in on a gaping CGI mouth called Moron Mountain. <laughs> Inside, Danny DeVito is what? arguing with slugs. In the planet. <laughs> is that? And then, on top of Next that. Next scene, the Looney Tunes in the center of the earth. What? Well, the other thing, yeah, it's, like, it's like, okay, it, like. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they really... You have to understand, in, in this movie, the Looney Tunes represent the Earth life force of Gaia, kind of like Final <laughs> Fantasy and the spirits within. Right? And, and outer space wants to steal <laughs> our life, our Mother Earth energy through the form of Lola Bunny. So you have that on its... Uh, first of all, 
Bill Murray thrown in the mix. <laughs> um, the Looney Tunes themselves are like not their original selves. They're like trying to be like a little. They're a little more edgy. They are they're, like a little, a little more, more like kind of fuck offy in this weird way that I'm not a big fan of. This threw me off immediately. The voice of, I think, Daffy and Bugs is Billy West. Or no, I think just Bugs is Billy West. Bugs is Billy West. And so, like, as a kid, I never noticed this, but all I can hear is fucking Futurama. It's just Futurama Bugs Bunny yelling at me. It's weird. And Daffy sounds weird as well. Daffy was, uh, what's his name? He did SpongeBob. D. Bradley Baker, who did SpongeBob, Steven Universe. He did Daffy Duck and Tasmanian Devil as well as the bull, which I thought was a funny part. (laughs) So uh, going back to what I was going to say, so Who Framed Roger Rabbit really firmly establishes the rules of their world, Mm -hmm. right? Space Jam, I'm like, wait, there's a cartoon world (laughs) and a real world. You can be like, they, they don't even try to nail this down, but the aliens are cartoons in space. But they are not our cartoons. Right? It is like so odd that stuff to me i'm just like i'm like wait wait so real people can exist in the cartoon world Mm -hmm. and turn into balloon uh cgi balloons and stuff like that Mm -hmm. cartoons can just jump into the real world what's the relationship there is everybody just accepted this and then also why are there cartoons in space as well Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, and maybe this is being nitpicky, but it's just it, it, it asks a lot, and we it is also totally very important cool that in the basketball game, the Looney Tunes are allowed to enlist the help of Michael Jordan. Yeah, but they are strictly forbidden to get Penny Hardaway, Grand Hill, Scotty Pippen, Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal, uh, Carmelo, literally all of the actual good basketball players that didn't show up in this movie. Right. I Sean did. Kemp? You should have thrown Sean Kemp in there. He was great in NBA Jam. That's my only point of reference. He could slam dunk from the half court line if his turbo meter well, was high. Wait, what convinces Jordan to, to do it, though? Isn't it because, um, are, is it just because the Monstars are talking mad shit? Yes. Right? Oh, God. Michael Jordan's acting in this is so, first very of all, bad. it's very, it's, but it's, it's endearing. Pa- passable. It's yeah. endearing because he's Michael Jordan and the Michael Jordan that you've seen from like uh, all the Nike commercials, yeah. where like he's you know uh, Spike Lee's character was it Mor- Mars or whatever? It must be the shoes. Yeah, like he just like raises an eyebrows and goes like, "Sure, whatever, guy." Like that was his on this. That was his character, you, you know. Right. And so in the movie, he's like, "Okay, bugs," and like that's so he's technically playing himself correctly. The magic trick that was <laughs> convincing the world that Michael Jordan is not an asshole. It's like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And in hindsight, because you hear all these stories now about just how much of a fucking asshole that guy was to like everybody (laughs) and how competitive and mean he was, just how he'd break the souls of his competitors on the court with the shit that he talked and like just everything. In the 2000s, he admitted that he like multiple times almost blew all his money in gambling. Oh, yeah. Which raises a lot of weird things about that scene where he like all of a sudden is like, Let's raise the stakes on this. Yeah, and I mean, the whole reason why he went into retirement. Th- by the way, this movie is based on the fact, and again, we'll get into it, but Michael Jordan, of course, retires for like one year from basketball to play minor league baseball, which was one of the weirdest events in sporting history. Um, and the movie is just like, oh, no, like, listen, this is all fun make-believe. I just said sporting as well, Jake. We're both such fucking nerds. Jake texted me. He's like, do we have any friends that like actually like basketball? And I'm like, and I And you're don't like, know. Ben loves wrestling. And I was like, I, but like real <laughs> sports, though. 
Uh, so you're going to hear a couple of nerds talk about the history of Michael Jordan in just a little bit. So get excited for that. I guess we're just starting with all this screaming about it because watching the movie. Okay. As a kid, I just remember it being great Mm -hmm. and it had everything behind it to be great. It was all these franchise was tied in with fast food stuff and whatever. It had a great soundtrack. Amazing. It had Looney Tunes. It's got Michael Jordan. It's kind of got everything. And, and, and rewatching again was like, you see how much of a clusterfuck it is <laughs> and just how hard they went for every possible audience that could ever exist in this movie. There is a Pulp Fiction reference. There is all these weird sexual innuendos. I don't even know what to do with Lola Bunny. We'll talk about it. Just don't call her doll because she's an independent woman. Kind of, but also <laughs> clearly like very uh, singularly just trying to gain the affection of Bugs Bunny. So, so yeah, it's just this like unbelievable cash grab that became completely totally successful and looking back on it you're like this there's no reason for the any of this to be a thing I, it's so weird i just i really think that um uh among among all the animation achievements and everything else uh we really should point out that the makeup the practical effects work on danny devito to make him as mr swackhammer was incredible. He really looked like a cartoon, but that was Danny DeVito on camera, just like acting his balls off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, the prosthetics took eight hours to affix to his weird lumpy cast. body. And I don't think I would uh, like this movie if it wasn't for Bill Murray. Like, straight up, <laughs> like his his he shows up right when I need him to to make me like it. Honestly, my favorite part's probably the basketball players that lose their talent B plot. That's so funny. That, yes, that, they that keep was cutting done really to, well. Yeah, that, that just the the because the aliens steal all these players' talent, and also it was a nostalgia trip for me. You've got uh, Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues who were on the Charlotte Hornets, and I would go watch them with my dad, and like so. This is hitting all the nostalgia stuff at every Don't angle. Don't forget and Sean also, Bradley. And Sean, what was Sean Brad? Oh, the uh, player. He was yeah. Don't for- Sean Bradley. Yeah, we won't forget him. But this is hitting all these nostalgia notes while also being the most confusing thing ever to me. But I will say too um, that I yes, n- uh, talking about the gush, I remember being all about Space Jam. Mm-hmm. I remember I had some cards. Do you have any collectible <laughs> cards? I don't think I bought any. I don't even think I had the soundtrack when I was said and done. I had a bunch. I don't. I didn't either. But I had a bunch of collectible. I wasn't a big R and B guy. I remember really <laughs> liking that. Uh, you hit him high, hit him high, hit him high. We hit him low, hit him low. Well, to be like fair, that, that was like the dude, Lady Marmalade. Right. <laughs> it was uh, what totally. was it? Coolio, Method Man, yes. uh, I, Busta Rhymes, yeah. and oh, You're who, nailing it. And uh, the ah, uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's Why too many people. It's like way too many people. Wait, uh, LL Cool J and. And, uh, shit, I'm, I'm forgetting. Buster Rhymes, LL Cool J, Method Man, Coolio, and Cypress Hill's Be That's Real. That's it. Be Real from Cypress Hill. Which I, is amazing. I mean, yeah. I couldn't is, remember his name, but I could remember this way he talks. Yeah. What a super group. Also, um, and again, R. Kelly, just an absolute monster. So just keep that in the back <laughs> of your head. Whenever I talk about him, we I have to talk about him today, unfortunately, because of I Believe I Can Fly. But that really was... At every single dance I ever attended, that was, that was every, that song was everywhere. I don't even know what to compare it to other than like 
a Michael Jackson hit. You know what it I mean? Was like, or, uh, uh, it was like Kiss from a Rose. It was yeah, just one of these oh soundtrack God, songs just, that just consumed everything. Every single second in the car, that song. I mean, it was just and yeah, unbelievable the fact that like this movie it's, not only had all this star power and all this the basketball thing to draw people in, the weird adult humor, the the cartoons for the kids, and also for the old people. And then at the same time, the soundtrack had like one of the biggest hits ever on it and not repurposed for it an original song for the soundtrack ever uh and you know it's of course it's a tragedy and the human suffering of obviously uh because clearly gotham city is the best r kelly movie soundtrack song. oh my god city yes. of justice Ugh. city of love Ugh. city of peace for everyone above and so- we all need I've been singing too much this episode. I'm just terribly confused by this episode. Gotham City! It makes no sense. Oh, yeah. This is really the kind of mishmash, though, you got in the late 90s. Let's get into it. I think the first place we have to start is the unbelievable, prolific commercial career of Joe Pitka. Joe Mm -hmm. Pitka, the director of the film, he studied fine arts at what is now called Carnegie Mellon. Uh, I applied there for uh, acting school back in the day. It used to be referred to as Carnegie Museum of Art Carnegie Tech. He also studied chemical engineering at the University of Pittsburgh, but he said, fuck that. While in college, he ends up working at uh, WRS Motion Pictures before moving to New York for the position of post-production supervisor at MGM Telestudios. Then he returned to Pittsburgh to make documentaries for the National Educational Television Network, now known as PBS, Public Broadcasting Station. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I didn't write it down. Uh, so, but the thing you have to understand about this guy is how prolific of a music video and commercial director he was. Over 5,000 commercials. On In addition to that, when you think of 90s filmmaking, when oh you think God, of dude. the visual language of that era, it was one defined by short-form media like music videos yes. and commercials. So in a very roundabout way, it was his particular filmmaking style that was so in demand that then influenced so much else around him just by making these commercials. And a lot of his documentary background ended up feeding into mm-hmm. his work on uh, on on co- uh, commercials. So like he's the- able to funnel it in and essentially change the landscape of how commercials are shot and approached. That gritty 90s style, yes. that weird fake confessional style, yeah, was born from him. And it's like just it's just one of these weird things that, yeah, he's known as the Space Jam guy. But if you fucking go through the wormhole or I'm sorry, the wabbit hole, the wabbit hole, you can see like his tentacles are everywhere. Um, (laughs) Double it up. Like make it (laughs) it twice. Play it twice twice so that people think they're uh, played at the end. And at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do that weird thing where they're like, fuck, this is the worst joke to have the (laughs) podcast bitch out on. You know what I mean? Um, Um, So let's Bo knows. By for Nike. Oh, okay, Bonus. so this is okay. So, so th- can I can I jump ship a little? Did, did you get into David Falk at all? Uh, yeah, the the well, well yeah, but we we don't want to list off some of these commercials first before we talk about Dave Falk, Michael because, Jordan's man, uh, uh, agent, because it's David Falk that kind of gave birth to this whole scheme. Like it was it was uh, I can't pronounce this. Pipka. Pitka. Pitka. Yeah. It was Pitka that like enacted this will, but it was Falk that like got the ball rolling because before the basketball rolling <laughs> before 
so think of it this way. Um, the biggest sneaker deal before David Falk and Michael Jordan was, I believe it was uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got a lump sum of $500,000 to promote Converse sneakers. And before the Air Jordans came about, uh, the Converses were still the dominant sneaker in basketball. You know, like, you know, no right. high tops, no crazy shit, just like, well, I'm sure there were terrible high. ankle pain. Yeah. Like, no ankle sports. The worst basketball shoe I could possibly imagine being a lifelong wearer of Converse shoes. And Falk was this uh, just this Jewish guy. He like started uh, getting obsessive about sports in um, college. And he like basically he's one of those guys that like found his passion. He wanted to be an agent, fought tooth and nail to get in the front door of a big time agency. And um, his his whole shtick was that. He was going to be just the most vicious asshole, uh, the most brutally honest guy, like the quintessential sports agent. And he also would like do this thing where he would back up analytics. He would make he would like actually do the math and like point out how much money a company would make from an endorsement deal and say like. So like just from a business standpoint, my client should get millions of dollars, not thousands of dollars from this. Uh, the fact that Michael Jordan got a cut of sales of Air Jordan sneakers was a revolutionary deal. And the concept of Air Jordans was actually credited to Falk. Yeah, yeah. Falk was, yeah, became Michael Jordan's agent after, like, breaking off from his main agency over, like, a dispute. Uh, he ended up being the agent of both, of also Patrick Ewing and Sean Bradley, which and, like, a couple of other people. He was this monumental figure in sports at the time. But the Nike deal changed the face of sports and media and made Michael Jordan... Uh, not just a uh, you know a shoe salesman, but an athletic apparel salesman, and then eventually a burger salesman. <laughs> yeah, I mean he was doing a ton of endorsements. Yeah, absolutely. And it was because of this like newfound media and and yeah agent athlete alliance that it that this was possible, and that deal then gave birth to other deals such and and campaigns like the Bo Jackson stuff. Right. So bonos for Nike. Ray Charles is uh huh. And Madonna's Make-A-Wish spot for Pepsi. This is all Pitka stuff. Yeah. The craziest one to me was the This Is Your Brain on Drugs PSA. That was Pitka. Oh, wow. Pitka did so many fucking memorable That gritty commercials. shit, I'm telling it's you. It's all that. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't remember this, if you're because some of the, a lot, or maybe a lot of our listeners don't, weren't around during this time, this was a PSA for drug use that was uh, This Is Your Brain. Uh, and it was an egg, and then he cracks it and pop, tops, pops it on a frying pan. This is your brain on drugs. And it was this very simple image, but it cut deep real quick. It was such like a like, and that's that's such a a, a specific style that it that can all be attributed to Pitka, the Budweiser Clydesdales commercials, all <laughs> Pitka. He did so many Super Bowl commercials, like every he's Super Bowl the commercial. Super Bowl commercial guy. You know, he did commercials featuring the Beatles, Tom Hanks, Tiger Woods, President Obama, Marlon Brando, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James, among many others. Um, he also did uh music videos including "The Way You Make Me Feel" for Michael Jackson. And the Beatles, Free as a Bird. Uh, he also directed uh, uh, Let It Ride, which I'm glad I get to talk about here. I can't believe I get to talk about Let It Ride on an episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. Let It Ride is a movie I used to watch with my dad all the time, and I think <laughs> it still holds up. It is a comedy about horse track betting, and it stars Richard Dreyfus and David Johansson, Terry Garr, and Jennifer Tilly. And I like still, it's scenes from that movie are like completely burned into my brain. It is a weird movie. 
but just like Space Jam is, but it is real. I remember like loving it. It's really funny. It's just like a guy kind of losing his mind to racetrack betting, uh, and uh, Drive has plays a great nutbag who just kind of throws his his life away. So, anyways, let it ride. Check it out. Now back to Space Jam. So, <laughs> last time on Space Jam. So all these fucking so he had the, so this guy was making the best commercials and yeah. he was working for Nike, which was doing this amazing work pushing these athlete-driven promotional campaigns where the athletes were getting huge chunks of the of the profits as well as everyone else. Yeah. So the athletes were becoming richer and more famous. Yes. The ads were becoming bigger and broader, and it was creating this like crescendo of media production. But now also we got to talk about Michael Jordan and how he got to where he got to be the. You're talking about all these athletes. This though, he was uh, the number one uh, a guy. He was the number fucking one person when, when you're talking about athletes getting rich off of all of this stuff. So let's get into it. Michael Jordan played basketball, baseball, and football in high school. He tries out for the varsity basketball team as a sophomore, but he didn't make the cut. Largely, this was due to his height at the time, and he watched his taller friend make the team. That's when he went psycho batshit <laughs> crazy, and this is a lot of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is probably the most competitive person who ever lived. Yeah, is- this is all the things that are like, you know, a lot of people have like the height, a lot of people have uh, the talent, but what Michael Jordan had was um, – he was fucking crazy. Yeah, he, he would. He trained for hours and hours and hours on end. He ends up making the varsity team the next year. He goes on to get a scholarship to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So my parents, that's the UNC Tar Heels. Uh, my parents are like, they met at UNC Chapel Hill. My brother went to UNC Chapel Hill. And so again, the can, Michael Jordan connection, very strong there. So that's another whole world for me of connection to this person. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, in the, According to the movie, he was just uh, at 11 years old <laughs> shooting perfect free throws in I his, mean, in his uh, driveway. And then his dad looked on and smiled as it is heavily implied he did a Full dunk at age 11. Yes, I mean... I mean, they cut away, but he, like, goes for it. And the dad's like, ah, yes, my child is a freak of nature. Yeah, exactly. Well, he does very well at UNC. He ends up getting drafted to the Chicago Bulls in 1984 as the third overall pick. He quickly rises to fame and fortune with the Bulls. Uh, Immediately, like, he immediately, in the 1986-1987 season, he is, like, the rookie. He scored uh, 3,000 points. That season, only uh, he was the only one to do it, other than Wilt Chamberlain, and was the first NBA player in history to get 200 steals and 100 block shots in a season. From 1990 to 1993, the Bulls end up winning the NBA championship three times in a row. That is when the Bulls essentially just become this godlike, top tier basketball fucking phenomenon in in the in the early 90s. I mean, a- again. That is why you could not get away from them. But at the end of 1993, the the season that is, he ends up retiring. Um, and pe- people attribute this though to his crazy gambling problems and uh, the fact that the commission, the NBA commission, needed to get him out of the picture for a little bit, punish him essentially. But they couldn't, they didn't want to tarnish this amazing commercial fucking thing that they've got going because it's like spectacular. So they protect him because honestly, if he were ousted as this like horrible, whatever for whoever, it's going to have a massive impact. He can't be bad. Yeah. Yeah. He can't be the bad guy. 
And so he ends up announcing his retirement in October of 1993 and then shocks the world by signing a minor league baseball contract with the Chicago White Sox in 1994. Uh, so for one season, he's we're just watching Michael Jordan be like mediocre at baseball. <laughs> it's very strange. This is all coming into play though. This the weird the weirdest one of the weirdest things to me about Space Jam is it's meta. Yeah. content is the fact they're playing off of the fact that he did this mm-hmm. uh, because it's just such an it's such an odd thing that happened in the first place and then like I want to I want to sit down with somebody who didn't ever watch Space Jam or have any context of Space Jam and just like pick their brain about it as they're watching it because like no you kind of need to know all this stuff about, and it was all in your fate like you could not know about it if you grew up around that time but looking back on it it's like what He's playing baseball. Why is he playing baseball? It it would be the as shocking as if Donald Trump quit the presidency to play minor league baseball. <laughs> like this is how singular of a cultural figure he was. Yeah, oh, completely. Uh, so he announces his comeback to the Bulls. That was not, that was not a crazy thing in 1995. That was done with a two word press release that just said, "I'm back." And during this time, Michael Jordan appears in over 20 commercials for Gatorade, including a campaign called Be Like Mike, with children wishing to be like Michael Mike, Jordan. Mike, it was I literally be like predicated Mike. on the fact that every kid in America <laughs> w- wanted to be Michael Jordan. And of course, as you mentioned before, then there was Nike's Air Jordan shoes, which started in 1984 with Spike Lee saying, it's got to be the shoes. And um, that is credited to David Falk, the concept of the Air Jordan. And I mean, it's got to be Scotty le- I mean, Pippen being one of the most dominant defenders yeah. <laughs> on the entire history of the NBA, giving Michael Jordan plenty of gas in the tank to just dominate on the offensive line. And then, of course, you know, Dennis Rodman being the wow. dazzle. That's an interesting story that involves <laughs> Joe Pitka. Apparently, Pitka had a lot to do with Dennis Rodman joining the Bulls. But before we get into that... I just want to say, and I want to talk about uh, the, a, a very brief history of Bugs Bunny, because I'm sure there will be like some kind of Looney Tunes episode in our future. But before even I get into that, just really quickly, Air Jordans were, f- I mean, they're still huge, first of all. They're bigger than they've ever been. They are massive. And um, the the when Air Jordans first came out, like, Everybody wanted them, including myself. And I believe I did have a pair of Air Jordans at some point, uh, even though I pretty much only wore Chuck Taylors like most of my life. Air Jordans were ever present. They were this giant cultural symbol, this giant luxury symbol, this thing that everybody wanted to prove to everybody else that they were a worthy citizen of the United States of America. And I, that sounds crazy, but that is it was, so the truth. Uh, the urban myth slash like whatever, like the same legendary thing that like my parents would be like, no, we can't let you get Air Jordans because obviously uh, some local roustabouts will see you on the yeah, street, take beat you up and take them. I mean, kind of true, though, a little bit. Hey, is that a boy's double wide Air Jordan? <laughs> get them. <laughs> Which is why I had to exclusively use British Knights. <laughs> yeah, Joey Tiny Feet's gonna come after him. <laughs> oh no! My, oh, I knew I should have gotten the LA Lights. <laughs> Remember the pump? I, uh, yes, my my they. I could not. I wanted to get them, but um, I think I had a pair of the pump. I just so I, the 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 pump was you had I I wish they'd bring this back because it was so fun. They tried. They you tried had this little, and it didn't. You had this little air bubble on your what do you call that? The tongue of your mm-hmm. shoe, and you could pump it up, and it would pump up the the uh, bottoms of your feet with air, and then you could jump higher. 
No, that it would, was super cool. It would fill the space between the shoe and your foot so it would have a better fit. Is oh, I thought it was so you could jump higher. I mean, they oh, remember those shitty Nikes with the springs, the shots? Oh, yeah. With, and like they weren't springs, they were just like shitty little shoes. Plastic. Got crazy yeah. during this time. Shoes were weird. All right, let's talk about bugs. Then you Bunny. turn 32 and you just all you buy are new balances because they're soft on your old ankles, right? Well, it's either that or wait in a line for six hours, apparently, <laughs> if you want to be into shoes these days. So Bugs Bunny, number one star of the Merry Melodies cartoons, um, and that was all through its prime back in the 40s. Bugs was largely overlooked, though, by the 80s and 90s. He did appear in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which came out in 1988, and yes, we will eventually do an episode on that film, so don't worry about that. And Warner Brothers demanded that he have the same amount of screen time as Disney's biggest star at the time, well, ever, Mickey Mouse. So they ended up always appearing in scenes together. I remember when Donald Duck and Daffy Duck had the dueling piano thing? That was was a lot of fun. For his 50th anniversary, Box Office Bunny was released, uh, and that was his first cartoon released in theaters since 1964, okay? That's how, that's how, you know, unplayed... Bugs Bunny was for a while there. So so that's all setting the stage for this giant comeback for Bugs at the time when Michael Jordan and the Air Jordan shoe for Nike was uh, uh, just huge everywhere, omnipresent. Mm-hmm. And you've got Joe Pitka coming into the mix to work with them and bring Bugs out of the vault and make a commercial called... Hair Jordan. Hair Jordan. It is. All right. So you've got Nike. They team up with an ad agency called Wyden and Kennedy for uh, for two Super Bowl ads in 1990 and 1991, each playing in the Super Bowl. I just said that. Uh, and they both proved to be successful. One is a super cut of sports announcers, which was very enjoyable. I watched that. And one was with famous sports moments projected on buildings that a jogger runs past in the city streets. I don't know if you remember that one. And they both feature Michael Jordan in them, sort of in the, you know, quick cuts or whatever. So it is uh, Wyden and Kennedy bringing in director Joe Pitka for the next Super Bowl commercial, which is going to be a mashup with Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan. Pitka said, we had a tough time getting it together. We fought with Warner Brothers for months trying to modernize Bugs' character for the commercial. They finally came around to accepting what we wanted to do. We then did the spot, and it was a huge success on the Super Bowl, which meant that it was a nice bit of research for Warner Bros. to understand that the Bugs character still had relevance and to tie it in with Michael. This commercial is super weird. I mean, yeah. obviously it's a commercial, so they don't have a lot of time to set up like the rules of the universe. But right. like, Oh, uh, like they do that in Space Jam <laughs> at all. It's a bunch of like a, a nice multiracial group of toughs are like playing basketball against Bugs Bunny. Multiracial group of toughs. I like that. Um, and uh, they're just like they're being mean, and it's shot in this like very yeah music video video y style. And then Michael Jordan comes in to help, and then Bugs Bunny dresses up like a hot lady, and all the guys just immediately get horny for the rabbit they were just bullying. And Michael Jordan's like, "All right, Bugs, come on, let's get serious." And they do a bunch of cool slam dunks, and that's the that's yeah. the commercial. I mean, it's a fast commercial. It's very memorable. I remember the look of the shoe. I remember uh, a lot of things from that commercial for sure. So this was all just a big financial test that proved to be very successful. This commercial, super successful uh, in terms of for Nike, for the ad agency, for Warner Bros., everything. So it was, of course, David Falk, 
mainly pulling the strings. He's trying to get Jordan over into Hollywood. He because wants money, just yeah, more money, just more money, and and more money exists in Hollywood. He's already been doing all these commercials, so he's getting more and more comfortable in front of a camera. And now it's his time to make his big Hollywood debut. And so Falk approaches Warner Brothers about adapting Hair Jordan into a feature length film. And that's when they bring in the producers, namely Ivan Reitman and his frequent collaborators, Joe Medjik and Daniel Goldberg. Ivan Reitman, obviously, from the Ghostbusters. Check out our Ghostbusters episode. You can get the full history on Reitman there. We're not going to spend any time, I think, talking about his bio. It's just and he's just so on top of his game uh, in terms of creating comedy films that he's like an obvious go to to produce. And uh, at the, and when you were a kid, you probably glossed over the line uh, Bill Murray says in the movie when, uh, you know, I think what was yes. it? Elmer Fudd's like, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm friends with my producer. I'm friends with the producer. Yeah. It's Ivan Wright. Friends with the producer. Um, So they initially are having a lot of difficulty getting uh, a director, which is funny because one well, would think they would immediately go to Pitka. But of course, Pitka, no, no, they, they immediately were like, OK, so. Roger Rabbit worked, and that was live action and right. cartoons. Let's get Zemeckis. And when we eventually do our Roger Rabbit episode, we'll tell you exactly why Zemeckis was like, that was a fucking nightmare Pick of logistical is- horrors, and I never want to do live action animation ever again. Pick has said, I know that Robert Zemeckis had told one of the producers that Roger Rabbit was the most difficult thing he'd ever done, and he would never do anything like that again, so I don't think they realized how complicated <laughs> the process was. And they decided, uh, so they decided to go to Pitka to direct, and he was brought in very late in the game. So he immediately gets to work trying to re- rework the script. The original script was written by Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick, who did the Tim Allen Santa Claus franchise. G- good for them. Uh, t- <laughs> Timothy and Herschel Weingrod uh, are also given credits. They did Trading Places, Twins, and Kindergarten Cop. You definitely catch some of that DNA running through Space Jam. The script is largely, of course, based on Michael Jordan's life and his return to the NBA. And uh, so Pickett gets the script where he wants it to. He starts, you know, getting getting to work on how to combine the cartoons with the with the real world and all that good stuff. So Pitka is in charge of the whole production. He directs, uh, you know, Michael's uh, scenes in front of the green screen. He works with uh, Michael Jordan and gives him, you know, as much breathing room as an actor can get on set of, uh, of a film like this. Uh, but over on the Warner Brothers side of things, the animation is uh, handled by uh, two directors. Bruce Smith uh, is the co-director, animation director. He directed Bebe's Kids and eventually hey! created The Proud Family. I loved Bebe's Kids. Yeah. Uh, We've talked about Bebe's Kids before. <laughs> Bebe's Kids. Shout we, out to Bebe's they Kids. They don't die. They multiply. <laughs> the co-director also was Tony Cervone who uh, did work on Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and the Duck Dodgers series. And oddly enough, you know Duck what he- Dodgers, <laughs> the 21st century! Uh, like the 2000 series, not the original short. Uh, um, and, uh, okay, you know those fucked up Tom and Jerry directed DVD movies that are becoming memes because they're just genuinely nightmarishly animated? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, the guy behind those at the moment. Cool. And also, like, uh, another di- weird directed DVD animation project- uh, you know those Scooby Doo movies where like they just hang out with WWE superstars? Uh-huh. That's him too. Just of these course. these two like uh, lifelong workhorses in the animation industry um, are not only uh, getting this together, but they're also uh, kind of assembling the Warner Brothers Animation uh, Disney competitor studio at the same time. So mm. there's a lot of a lot of people are getting put into motion. Yeah, we should really set the stage here too. Disney 
is doing very well at this point, mm-hmm. and Warner Brothers is like, we also have cartoons. Yeah, it, it is very much in a spot of being like trying to remind people that they are also big shots in the cartoon industry, and that is a lot of why Space Jam ended up getting to happen. Uh, casting wise, uh, unbelievable ca- cast uh, for sure. Like outside, I mean, Michael Jordan's not great, obviously. But just the basketball players they got, Bill Murray's great, um, and the voice cast is is pretty fantastic. Even though it's kind of hard to, as you said, divorce like the weird new voices for the Looney Tunes from like the voice actors that. If go you're on to a be. voice actor nerd, it's a genuine who's who's who. Uh, they have obviously uh, Billy West is Billy Bugs West. Bunny, Futurama, Ren and Stimpy, everything, just everything. He's done everything. It, it, it's almost too weird. Maurice LaMarche is in here. Uh, June Foray is in here. Uh, that weird Michael Jordan's pet bulldog who shows up for some very weird visual gags uh, is played by Frank Welker, who is, uh, besides being Megatron, is just literally the voice of every, if you think of a, a dog in a movie, that's like, like that's Frank Welker. Uh, Lola Bunny is done by Kath Susie, who is this, she's like Dexter's mom. She's in a million different things. And it's very weird hearing her voice also in this movie because she's trying to be all sexy. But all I can hear is just like Phil and Lil from Rugrats. Wait, a, are you talking about for Lola Bunny? Yeah. Lola Bunny is the weirdest man. Okay. Um, <laughs> I did some Lola Bunny research. Um, I did. I yeah. I, it's so weird. Man. So what happened was <laughs> this is a modern '90s film, and they're putting together all the you know uh, model sheets and all the marketing and all like you know because we got to have the merchandise and got to have. This the is literally. This was t- just t- a made in a room of people of suits who know how to make money. This was like a you this is the kind of movie that could have it seems like it feels like it was made in a lab. You know what I mean by like scientists that are focused solely on how to get as much money out of every demographic as humanly possible. So the problem is so the suits decide obviously you know this is this is the modern looney tunes we live in a modern era we got to handle all four quadrants we need a dame. We need a dame. Uh, Tweety Bird is technically a guy. Uh, Granny's too old. <laughs> there just really weren't any young women. But why women did they Looney feel Tunes. like they needed a love interest for this movie? Like, wa- well, rewatching just- this movie, Lola Bunny really feels like she could super not exist whatsoever. Absolutely. And this movie would have completely gone on as it feels. She feels so. Which is funny because look, at, when you think about Space Jam, Lola Bunny is so like inherent to Space Jam because of cosplay. And so you you you're like oh yeah Lola Bunny she's like one of the main stars but then you watch it and you're just like oh she's got like six lines she's barely she you know she's like an afterthought and then you're like why is she in this fucking like they needed to shove a thousandth thing into this movie it's, to try to get those cash monies out of the out of the horny who so horny kids horny adults i don't know what she's here for so i from a respectful distance uh i have never been a furry i have uh known furries we're, I wizard and bruiser supports furries we're completely cool with furries we have but we are legally obligated to support furries. the the <laughs> committee weird process that gave birth to lola bunny was just the cynical we need a chick we need a dame yeah. it's marketing it's merchandising girls need a character to right. to focus on okay and so they start that being, makes sense and right? we need a girl who is as important who's not just like a tertiary character we need an important uh girl character so 
who is the most important Looney Tune? It's Bugs. So we need a girl Bugs. That's right. it's, it's that simple. And there's no element of like, hey, remember how hot lady version of Bugs Bunny was when he like fools people so this in is, the old cartoons, which he also did in Hair Jordan. Like, so it wasn't intentional, but um, within the Bugs Bunny canon, there's a uh, short where Bugs Bunny tries to like get with a lady rabbit named Daisy Lou. Uh-huh. And uh, also in... Uh, obscure Warner Brothers comics. There was also a girl bunny that Bugs Bunny was involved with, named like Honey Bunny. Um, I hate this conversation. I Go went. On. I went in a deep dive. <laughs> Let's get out of this as soon as we get. Let's pull the car out of this parking lot. So, in both of those it. designs, the <laughs> problem that came up that any attempt to make a girl Bugs Bunny just results in. Bugs Bunny and drag because we've already right. seen Bugs Bunny and drag, and drag yeah. so many times. And if you, and it's um, great. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I can't get enough of it. I there is it. an extensive, like I've for, met so many interesting <laughs> people. Yeah. Go on. Um, I've, we've researched so many topics and sometimes you try and look for like a fandom community or a message board <laughs> and there's really nothing there. The space jam wiki is fucking impeccable. It yeah. is a, t- it is the dead sea scrolls of space jam and they have, <laughs> Pages and pages of concept art and back and forth memos between the different artists. And they are trying their balls off to make a girl Bugs Bunny that doesn't look like Bugs Bunny in drag. So they're like shortening the snood and they're getting rid of the whiskers and they're adding a tuft of hair. And they're like trying to make her a tomboy. Jake, so she's I like, hate a, this. so she, okay, so this, I'm, I'm showing you a photo of proto, you know what, proto Jake, Lola. I feel like you really liked this part of the research week is all I'm saying. All right. I'm saying you as guys a gotta denizen, see what's going on with Jake's pants right now. I don't know what's going on it, myself. This I have never been more soft. This is an intellectual <laughs> pursuit. I am an enlightened being of knowledge. It's disgusting. This is getting bounced back and forth between all the talent at Warner Brothers. So even like bringing in Tex Avery and like old fucking uh, people to like try and figure out how to solve this fucking thing. Uh, there's a... Uh, Hair splitter. Okay, so uh, I have a document uh, from Dan Haskett, who uh, is another artist that worked with Warner Brothers. He's most famous for being the inventor of Minerva Mink, who also launched a million uh, fucking furry fetishes. And he kind of is beginning to hone in on like how to make Lola Bunny like more curvier and to like accentuate that this isn't just a pear-shaped Bugs Bunny in drag. Uh, they're adding eyelashes. They're making the eyes more feminine. They're doing all this shit. And so the final result is in their desperate move to make a cool pro femme like icon for little girls, they ended up with a sex rabbit. Yeah, and it's so it makes it's so odd. And yeah, that was the thing they were like, "Oh, she's too tomboyish. We need to make her more feminine." And it, they just made her more horny and and horned horned up. And it's just so it's just I don't know what she's there for other than to inspire a lot of people to become furries later in life and also to get a bunch of insta cosplayers uh, a lot of Patreon donations that month because Patreon money that could be spent on hardworking podcasters <laughs> who are doing the hard work of explaining why this rabbit is so horny. <laughs> www.patreon.com Um uh, good working with you, pal. Uh, so this is why every Lola Bunny scene is so, like, especially through the lens of our modern eyes, this is, is so, so bizarre. Because she's like, listen, I'm not here to play. I'm here to win basketball. Don't call me doll. But also. Bazunga. <laughs> but also the word bazunga. Every, like, Bugs Bunny literally gets stiff. He becomes a walking boner when yeah. she walks in the room. 
uh, she gets like damseled at the end, even though the mo- in the final game with the monsters, how like Foghorn Leghorn gets uh, fro- gets shot, <laughs> like everyone's like getting murdered, everyone's getting smacked around, but then Lola Bunny is about to get body slammed by the Charles Barkley monster, yeah, and all of a sudden Bugs Bunny's like, no, right, and she's just like, listen, I know I said I was independent, but right now I want your right. chivalrous rabbit it's dick. So confused. All right, I'm done talking about her. I, I hate same it. voice actress as Phil and Lil from Rugrats. It's, it's a real so confusing. Weird. So uh, for the casting, Pitka said, we had a hard time casting a lot of the minor characters because people just didn't want to be in a movie with Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. I mean, they're going to work with an animated character and an athlete. Are you serious? They just didn't want to do it. Makes sense. For uh, the lovable sidekick, which ended up being Wayne Knight, they looked at a few different char- uh, uh, actors for the role. Pitka originally wanted Michael J. Fox, but the studio didn't want him. And then he said, I wanted Chevy Chase because I had worked with Chevy on some Doritos commercials, and they didn't want to go in for that kind of stuff. And I believe by that kind of stuff, I think they meant um, they didn't want to work with a raging asshole. Like, we talked about Jordan being an asshole, but whoo-hoo-hoo, Chevy Chase, that's an, almost another planet of difficult bullshit. Um, so they ended up casting a group of comedy actors. I thought this was fascinating. I don't know who the actors were, but these, uh, uh, this is, this is, this is, uh, something that I, I think at this point we should call it like Imger fodder, like these behind the scenes photos yeah. that like kind of make the rounds every couple of years right? where, uh, in order to like, cause Michael Jordan needed all the help he could get. So he's working against a green screen with all these actors in full body green screen suits. Yeah. So that like they can, so he can like actually have people to bounce off of and like interact with, uh, and yeah, they got a troop of like improvisers, I think, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. And this is, by the way, a new thing. Green screen suits became a lot more used in films after this point, but this was actually a bit of an innovation on Pitka's end. He just wanted to. He's already has a difficult time because it's he's working with an athlete, not an actor. So he needs to give him as much as he possibly can um, in such a weird circumstance, acting across cartoon characters to allow him, you know, the best performance they could get. So that's why they ended up doing that. And he said, we had animators on set. And if we improvised a scene, we would do a computer printout of the acting and they would draw the characters in relationship to Michael in the scene so pretty wild stuff going on with the animation and everything it's also uh bill murray was supposed to just be in the golf scene yes and apparently an on-set conversation between pitka and bill and bill murray where bill murray is like so like there's going to be cartoon characters running around how are you doing this and pitka actually explained oh no we have like actors and this whole green screen Pitka said first i'm glad murray showed up bill (laughs) bill only came in for the golf course stuff because he didn't like the idea of working in animation while we were shooting the golf course scene, he asked how I was dealing with the actors, dealing with the animated characters, and when he found out how we were doing that, we wrote a couple of extra scenes for him at the end of the movie when he comes back to the basketball game. I'm so happy. I don't, it it would have been so weird if he didn't come in at the, like that original golf course scene would have made so much less sense. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just this wild card that makes this movie at all palatable. (laughs) Like he really is. I don't think I would enjoy the movie at all if Bill Murray didn't exist in it. He just immediately makes you feel good the moment you see him on screen. It's a specific post Ghostbusters Bill Murray, but pre uh, Paul Paul W. Anderson Uh, uh, or Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Ooh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, because that would have been rough. Uh, Bill Murray was an alien versus pre Wes Anderson. He's like he's he's throwing one liners out there off the cuff. He's having fun. It just looks like he's having a good time. They also 
have the, at the time, basketball greats, Larry Bird, who exists in the golf course scene, but then later the other athletes who all lose their talent uh, include Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, and Muggsy Bogues, uh, all of all of which were huge at the time. Again, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, big for me as a kid growing up in Charlotte. They were big. When the Charlotte Hornets were like huge, 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 they were at the forefront of that. And I actually think that their acting is pretty great. It's they're, they're really funny in they're this They're very movie. funny. And, uh, yeah, and I've outshined Jordan, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, they are great going through the when they lose their talent and – you know, they, they can't dribble a ball or make a shot. I mean, they really play that really well. And their depression over having lost their <laughs> their talent is really funny. And uh, another really surprising element that makes me like the movie a lot more than I should. Um, um, okay, can I just – all right, this is a weird thing. I'm just going to say it. And uh, when the aliens are in their tiny forms, they're called nerd looks. Yeah. Um, and when they're big, they're called monsters. Uh-huh. And uh, the nerdlucks uh, turn into purple goo, and they slither across the basketball court and so climb weird. up the body of the basketball star. That's so bizarre! And steal their talent. Yeah. But before they can use the talent, they have to put it in a magic basketball yes. first that they had. They had yeah. a magic basketball. Magic basketball. Yep. Totally um, checks out. But uh, <laughs> before they transform. They all talk really sweetly and, yeah. and quietly. In and fact, they, they have big and they're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. That's so like, so you're telling me that they not only magically stole the talent of Charles Barkley, but also his uh, black scent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's you know, it's a movie. I mean, people loved it though. I mean, we were all you know, we were all. You heard board. of the Dream Team? Well, we're the Mean Team. Is that what they say at some point? In the they movie? do. They do say that. Uh, here's another interesting factoid. In order to train for the NBA, also the one white basketball player is uh, was Sean yeah, Bradley, dude, yeah. and his his monster is called Blanco. Uh huh. Oh, weird. Which is weird. That's weird. Uh, so in order to train for the NBA, uh, they because Jordan is like in the midst of the NBA normal seasons, like he's still playing basketball. Uh, professionally, he had a basketball court and and a dome built uh, on set so that in between shots they could go shoot a basketball. The he had players like Reggie Miller come Wait. out and play for hours to train. Basketball dome. Uh huh. He's got a basketball dome. Mm-hmm. He's got a basketball dome. Oh baby, ooh. I don't know that one. Uh, it's a, it's a song from the soundtrack. Uh, Pika would also play with him. He said Michael and I played a lot of one on one. Once Michael came up and asked. Why are you never on my team? I said, because I want to see the ball every once in a while. Also, uh, Jordan was uh, notoriously incredibly competitive, even with the extras <laughs> and the random actors that had no actual skill at basketball. Uh, actor Keith Gibbs had this to say. Imagine if Tony Hawk just came up to right? you in the middle of like your work day and just threw a board in your hand and was like, let's race. He'd be oh. like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Exactly, right? So uh, let's race. I don't know if that's really what Tony Hawk did when it came to... <laughs> I don't think you understand how skateboard. How do you challenge someone works. to a skate off? I mean, I guess you just like let's do some tricks or whatever on the ramp, and then you would immediately bust your ass and he'd be doing. Well, I'd pull tricks. off a perfect three sixty Christ there because I trained for it exactly. So actor actor Keith Gibbs had this to say about his time playing basketball with Jordan on set. Jordan hit a thirty five footer on me. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. Leg out, tongue out, all that stuff. Hit a thirty five footer on me and goes. Get the fuck off the court. <laughs> like, there's like an actor named Keith Gibbs. 
He hits a 35-footer on him and then screams, get the fuck off the court. Like, like Mike. he's a. I want to be like Mike. I want to be, want to be like Mike. Also, apparently it was Pitka who got Rodman on the Bulls with MJ. This story, I don't believe this. This he's, is insane. Uh, uh, this is what he had to say. He said something about how he didn't know whether he could play with Dennis. I said, look, the guy doesn't shoot. He plays defense. He rebounds and he doesn't get in your way. You should go after him because Michael Jordan, of course, a psycho ball hog. Uh, that night, Dennis Rodman was at his Be- this Beverly Hills hotel with Michael and they made a deal that Monday. I will say that a lot of these quotes are from an EW interview where uh, Pitka was in his late 70s at the time. <laughs> so, you know, maybe the I, I'm just saying. He's like, I also came up with the idea for the Lakers. <laughs> um, they didn't have a team at the time. It's like, I think they did. Uh, okay. Let's I was like, and they should be led by a magical man. Let's talk about the soundtrack. First of all, the composition was done by James Newton Howard, whose score was released separately from the soundtrack. He also scored Pretty Woman, The Fugitive, The Dark Knight, among many others, incredibly successful uh, uh, music film composer. But let's talk about the soundtrack. You've got a cover of the Steve Miller classic Fly Like an Eagle by Seal. Uh, can't wait to see him be revealed on Masked Singer this season. Uh, it's so obvious. It's so him. obvious, Sam. Hit him high. The Monstars anthem uh, we already talked about with Busta Rhymes. Oh, I mean, you got to realize Busta Rhymes, LL Cool J, Method Man, Coolio, and Cypress Hill. I mean, you cannot. That is like everybody who was famous as a rap artist at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is ridiculous. Y'all, Jay Z's on the fucking soundtrack. Kind of, <laughs> kind of. There's so many. It's ludicrous. Well, um, okay. Uh, so uh, I, I just have to talk about this. It's so insane to listen to. Um, the final track on the soundtrack is a track called "Buggin." Uh, a, and it's a diss rap by Billy West doing a Bugs <laughs> Bunny voice, and it's like he's throwing shade at like um. At the Disney Corporation, at Warner Brothers, it has this really hard beat to it. Uh, he's just like hitting rhyme. He's hitting like he's spinning verses, just like you. You'll miss me, like you were Jordan at the plate, like just really going way too hard. And it was written <laughs> by Jay Z, <laughs> like one of Jay Z's like That's last amazing. like anonymous gigs before he broke through huge. Fuck yeah, it was dude. I love it. I'm sorry, Mary. If you can just play a couple of bars from. Bugging from the Space Jam soundtrack. This is a f- another fever dream within a fever dream. Got a girlfriend, Lola. She's a fox. Ain't no bunny like the one I got. <laughs> What's up, dog? Bugs got more props than a Warner Brothers lot. More money than any rapper's voice. Since day one, had his and hers first. Like Trump's wife, up to my ears in carrots. Not even the barber can fade the rabbit. And then, of course, Quad City DJ's originator of Woot, There It Is. Not Whoop, There It Is. Yeah, Woot, There, there it, it Is. Yeah, because there was a bunch of weird knockoffs. That's a whole nother story. We're not here to tell that story. I uh, mean, they also were responsible for the Tootsie Roll. Tootsie Roll. They did Space Jam, the an- the the anthem Space Jam. This is the... And if all this beige and beige, I don't know, whatever, right? It goes uh, like just that. the quintessential Miami drum and bass. Yes, uh, just just that perfect. I don't know. What's there's like the the same genre as Whoop. There it is. Is basically the Space Jam theme. Uh, they also did Come on, ride that train. And, oh, and ride it. Just woo. very much that. Um, See, you had memories of uh, high school dances uh, doing. Uh, I believe I can fly. I had memories of bar mitzvahs doing awkward macarena like moves to quad city djs of course the duet that no one ever needed 
Spin Doctors and Bismarcky performed That's the Way I Like It. Mm-hmm. A cover, of course. They did not write that song. Let's talk about I Can Believe. I Believe I Can Fly by Molestor Capital R. Kelly. Uh, by the way, Urinator of Children. Urinator on Children. By the way, um, Surviving R. Kelly, streaming for free right now on Netflix. <laughs> I highly recommend it, uh, unless it's too triggering for you. But if it's not, those women's stories deserve to be heard. Um, R. Kelly is a fucking nightmare human. Uh, this is what R. Kelly had to say about I Believe I Can Fly. When I met Michael Jordan on a basketball court at an athletic club, we hooped together in Chicago. He came to me and asked me if I wanted to do a song for his upcoming movie. I was like, yeah. I didn't even ask what it was. Eventually, he let me know what it was. We went to a screening to watch it, and that's when I ended up coming up with I Believe I Can Fly. I knew from the first melody that was going to be the song that was going to take me out of R&B and into another genre of music. And, of course, that also that song really kept him... Having fans, even after he clearly, definitely <laughs> um, had sex with um, uh, minors, so that that is that is the power of I can believe I I believe I can fly. That song was, and I cannot stress enough, as ubiquitous as Michael Jordan was in the sports world, uh, that song was in the radio play, MTV, everything music world. I mean, you could not get away from that fucking song. I would say, you know what, now is the time to make a stand and actually change the course of history, to change the culture. No longer shall we uh, valorize a fucking nightmare, heinous fucking person like R. Kelly and having him be the dominant association with the Space Jam soundtrack. When meanwhile, another classic, another high school dance standby is right there on the soundtrack that we have ignored up until this point. From this point on, if you're talking about this, the Space Jam soundtrack, fuck R. Kelly. Fuck I Believe I Can Fly, because for you, I will by Monica is the standby we deserve. It's it is a sweet. It's a sweet ballad. I will cross the ocean for you. Right. It's a good ballad. I will go and bring you the moon. So, by the way, the Space Jam soundtrack went six times day. platinum. That and is very successful. Uh, that uh, It's, it's kind of crazy how well this movie did. I will light you away for all time. I promise you. But you, I will. All right, let's talk about the website. (laughs) Oh, the website that still Still exists. So, by the way, if you Google Space Jam, I was shocked to find this out and then also remembered how big of an inside internet joke it became. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense. The first thing that comes up is the OG Space Jam website. Web 1.0. It has been unchanged since 1996. So the first movie website was created, I believe, in 1994 by MGM for the movie Stargate. That was actually the very first ever website for a movie. And so that's where we're at. Like, this is the origins of not just the internet, but, yeah, firsts like that are happening. And you can largely thank a man named Don Buckley, who worked in PR for Warner Brothers, uh, or was it, no, 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 was it Warner Brothers? I think maybe Warner Brothers, whatever. Uh, it, who gives a shit? He, he's the one to thank for the Space Jam website. He said, I was on the internet before there were graphical browsers, and it was still fascinating to me. I went, uh, I spent way too many hours deep into the night exploring this netherworld. I was a movie guy, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, we can do some things here. We can market movies on the internet. It became as much a creative exercise as anything else, but it was this new playground that had presented itself. So he ends up having a very difficult time convincing 
uh, the production company to allow him a web designer to make websites for movies. And he ends up getting a woman named Dara Lynn Weiss, who together with him made a site for Batman Forever in 1995. Uh, And that was the studio's very first movie website. Weiss taught herself HTML and super basic as a web development or as web development wasn't really a thing back then. Weiss said the job was awesome, but the drawback was that no one cared what we did. We got very little attention. My friends had no idea what I did for a living because they weren't online yet. This is, I mean, it is, this is what is crazy. It's like people don't even know. You couldn't even explain your job as a web designer (laughs) back then. Buckley ends up hiring on two more designers, Jen Braun and Michael Tritter. Michael Tritter doesn't give a fuck about sports. He had just gotten back from a trip to Slovakia. These people are in their 20s. Jen Braun, much more of a sports fan, huge Michael Jordan fan. Um, the first site they did was for Twister, and the second site they all did together was Space Jam. Uh, Michael Tritter said, I knew nothing about any sports, especially basketball. And since the... Ex- <laughs> And since the execs didn't care about the internet at the time, they were largely allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted. So they make this website. This website, you can look at production pictures. You can look at just imagining what very baby's first website was. Um, I would say this this, this website is, is the quintessential. Gaudy animated gifts. Yeah. A horrible step and repeat bitmap backgrounds. Uh, the whole website is built in tables, not like CSS. It is truly, yeah, like this is angel fire level shit. This is your tripod account. Uh, every, like the graphics don't load right now, because like load correctly. They're tiny because everybody's monitors are a way higher resolution than the CRTs they were designed for. Uh, garish colored fonts. It is it is a time capsule. So the internet evolves like a motherfucker. All the way up to now, we have Reddit and... On Reddit, in late 2010, there was a TIL, which stands for Today I Learned, about the fact that the Space Jam website not only still exists, but is still functional and has not been changed since 1996. This hits the front page. Someone hits up Dara Lynn Weiss to do, or Dara Lynn Weiss, probably, to do an AMA, which she ends up doing two days later. And it just becomes this big, you know meme essentially. And I love that it still exists and that I got to comb through it. You really feel the, like talk about nostalgia kicks. I mean that is is amazing. And the and the uh qu- is it QuickTime? I think videos still work. Oh wow. Like much of it still works, which is fucking bananas. And it was one of the first websites to have like a quiz in it, which became a very standard thing. It was very innovative for the time and now is amazingly it still exists. By the way, there's a very in-depth Rolling Stone article about the Space Jam website. <laughs> Which is just, I just love that that I, all of that I love I love that that exists as much as St- Space Jam is like I, I want to almost refer to it as like some fever dream abortion but like I'm glad that it that that exists I love that they keep trying to bring back the idea of doing a Space Jam too they like it's as of as of now like it's, it's been planned since 1997 the original idea involved a villain named Berserko um and Pitka was going to return to direct but Jordan refused Jordan said at one point he turned to Pitka and was like you told me this was going to be fun why isn't it fucking fun <laughs> like he had a terrible time he did not like making movies He um, was already a billionaire. (laughs) Yeah, didn't need the money, whatever, right? 
So in February of 2014, Warner Brothers announces that they were in development for a sequel starring LeBron James. He had gotten some positive reviews for his role in Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, which I did quite enjoy, but I don't remember LeBron James. I just remember John Cena. Uh, But whatever. Terrence Nance is hired to direct. He hasn't done a lot. I'm kind of wondering what that's all about. Pitka said, I think it's ridiculous to try and make a different movie out of it. I can't see it. I can't imagine how it could be what that film was. Not that Space Jam is a great movie. I love that he even admits that. But it had something that touched that period of time because of who those athletes were. And it doesn't uh, exist anymore. He said, I've worked with LeBron and I've worked with Steph Curry. And as good a player as LeBron is and as good a player as Steph Curry is, they're not Michael Jordan. We will never see another player like him. He was a transcendent figure, much like Muhammad Ali. He has be, he was beyond the sport. These guys aren't. And I I can see where Pick is coming from, but also I can't see original Space Jam being made and it got made, so I can easily see a sequel being made and it it having the same kind of success. There was an idea. I think Warner Brothers was shopping around that like the Jam universe would be like. <laughs> You know, uh, they they meet up with Tony Hawk because yeah, and it's going to be Skate be- Jam. That was a much better idea. And than me. Uh, Tiger Woods is going to meet Daffy Duck and it's going to be Golf Jam. I think I, to me, that's a lot smarter because you you can totally play into a completely different sport. You can totally play. You know, you I don't know. You don't. It's not forced to be a basketball game because it could be anything. It's yeah. alien. They're making up the rules the entire time. I don't even know. I'm trying to get into why it could work. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, Jake, any other thoughts on the movie? Space Jam because I I'm done I'm done talking about it <laughs> uh, the it is truly of its era it is the most 1996 that can thing that can happen um, yeah, and I'm embarrassed uh, there's a few really good visual <laughs> gags in there, there is, um, there's a, I laughed uh, there's one fucking shot uh, when it's like the, you know they're down and out and uh, it's right before Bill Murray comes in where they show like all the tunes being benched and like uh Sylvester's like in a body cast and like Roadrunner's like uh, roasted and Tweety is in an iron lung. And it's <laughs> really funny. That's it's a amazing. really funny piece of comedy. More so than Lola Bunny, uh, Wayne Knight getting inflated and then becoming a giant fart it's balloon so launched way more fetishes than Lola Bunny <laughs> ever did. That part is so weird that there was this weird CGI All the moment. CG is nightmare-inducing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when the monster smushed Michael Jordan into oh, a, a flesh basketball. Yeah, so weird. That was never meant to be seen in HD. That oh, is God. worse. Yeah. Awful. Just terrible. So everything from the soundtrack <laughs> to the 2D animation to the celebrities to the just to Michael to the NBA at its peak of cultural power uh, all combine into this singular time capsule. And it might not be a great movie. It might be, maybe it should have been a direct to TVD, a, a direct to TV special, uh, instead of a feature release. But if you were alive in 1996, it affected you. It is, it is a gateway. It is a time machine. And I'm, it's, and I'm, it's just weird that we had to do an episode on it. Yes, uh, agreed. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you want to support us further, we do weekly episodes of bonus content. And it's just $5 a month over Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, you can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho. Jake? You can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And hey, what if you want to stare at our gross flesh bodies for real? Uh, you should probably check out our show in Los Angeles on December 11th. Oh, my God. I keep forgetting that's happening. December 11th. We also have just announced dates in uh, the Midwest. 
Um, Pontiac, Michigan, Chicago, Illinois, and Milwaukee. Wis- How do you? What's this weird state? Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, and you can check that all that stuff out. That's going to be in mid January. Uh, we're so excited to see you guys. So please consider going online and getting tickets. And oh, and I guess uh, page seven is going to be there and all the. Gi- and oh you can- my god, it's going to be amazing. Um, and always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The Wabbit Hole. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.